0: Either I'm going to go and build a profitable business, or I'm going to go help people and serve people and raise money and be poor. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that it was the genius of the and. Welcome to Grid Talk, a podcast about real estate
1: entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's show, I have Chris Arnold, who runs four integrated businesses, all from sunny Tulum, Mexico. Chris Arnold, welcome my brother to The Great Investor Podcast. I'm so super pumped to have you on here. You and I have been getting to know each other over the last few weeks. And the more I dig, the more I like what I'm seeing and hearing. And so I thought I would bring you on here and share you with our great audience, our tribe, so that they can learn a little bit about you, your story, your history, and your business, man. So welcome to The Great Investor Podcast.
0: Man, if I'm hanging out with you, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time.
1: We're, we're going to have fun, man. So here's a here's question I have for you. Like, who is... Chris Arnold from a business standpoint, what's his life look like right now? And then I want to go a little bit deeper and understand who Chris Arnold is internally, right? Like, so give me your business stats and then give me your life stats.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in uh, the real estate game for 15 years. Um, It was the very first thing I started right when I got out of grad school. Um, I was just looking for a vehicle, right? A delivery system, for me to be able to live the life I wanted to live and of course focus on the things that I thought were most valuable, um, really from a value standpoint. So fast forward current day, um, I live in Tulum, Mexico, full time down in the Caribbean, um, because that was part of the plan, man. I didn't want to be in the city <laughs> my whole life. I wanted to finish up my day and go paddleboard, you know, down in the water um, on the ocean. And so I run a, a few businesses, but they're all built on a virtual platform, hmm. um, which means we have no brick and mortar office. And uh, even though our primary area of business when it comes to real estate investing and retail is in Dallas, I'd say about 80% of my staff um, don't even live in Texas. Um, we're, we're scattered like all over the United States. Um, but current day on the investment side, we do about 125 uh, transactions per year. Um, I define investment for us as wholesaling, wholesaling, and a little bit of fix and flip. We like to kind of cherry pick those best ones. Um, I got my feet wet on the retail side, um, so we still do uh, retail transactions, you know, representing uh, primarily sellers uh, listing their properties um, because we generate those opportunities through the investment company. And then, of course, you know, I run Multiplier's Brotherhood, uh, which we'll get into, which is a big why for me. Um, because I want to spend my life uh, really developing leaders. And then we have a nationwide coaching program, coaching uh, people how to utilize radio to find investment properties. So that's where I'm at. Married, six years, just me and my wife, no kids. Wow, craziness, man. How long have you been in Tulum now? Uh, Three years, full time. Three years yeah okay
1: so how did how did this entrepreneurial journey start for you I mean did you did you go to college for this was this this <laughs> was this in your DNA like tell me a little bit about that
0: yeah um, definitely my DNA um, you know looking at my two older brothers and my dad um, they all ran their own businesses and so I, I know the first seed that was really planted was from my father. Um, because I had the type of dad because he worked for himself, showed up to my practices and to all my football games and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I can always remember my father telling me, you can never put a price tag on that freedom of time. And I saw the same thing with my two older brothers. So when we get together to hang out, like when I was in school, we could go golf during the week, you know, things stand out like that because, you know, you didn't need to get time off from work. But, you know, over a period of time, I thought I was gonna go the vocational route um, in the sense of, you know, I went to seminary, yes, I went to school. I don't have an MBA, I got a master's in theology. Um, and so people were like, how in the heck do you go from like theology over to real estate? And I can tell you the biggest seed that was planted for me as I was uh, finishing up grad school, I was just eating a chick, uh, chicken biscuit and Chick-fil-A. Yeah, just one of those moments, right? I'm looking up on the mural. I see this big mural from Kathy Truitt about how he had utilized uh, Chick-fil-A as a vehicle to impact the world. You know, they Mm -hmm. were giving to college programs and to overseas things. And that was the first time that really hit me that, you know what, I really feel like, you know, I'm being called to build a business and to utilize the resources and the freedom that uh, t- uh, time that that gives and to go out and do something that I see as most valuable rather than the traditional route of, let's say, living at the mercy of other people's giving by raising money in nonprofit world. And that was really uh, a defining moment for me. Interesting. What, what did your dad do? What was... What was his business what did your brothers do you said they inspired you yeah so the biggest entrepreneur in my family is actually my middle brother bobby it seems like he started most of the businesses and passed them off to my dad and my brother Um, but my uh, middle brother does large in like development like multi-family Uh, he's also a home builder as well Uh, my other brother uh, runs a travel company that my middle brother started and sold to him and then my parents which is funny enough um, ran like it's called Gorilla Loop, hysterical. It's where you go get like a detailed car wash, oil, and all that type of stuff. And they built that up and they actually sold it. Um, so you can imagine like just watching my family, you know, always being in that kind of entrepreneurial world, definitely influenced me. That that's interesting. Were you were you
1: were they running that business when you were little or was that later on in life?
0: Um, that's when I was little. Yeah, Got absolutely. It. And then my mom worked for Mary Kay. So again, independent contractor. I remember she won her first pink Cadillac when I was born. Can you imagine the stars Being <laughs> dropped off in like football practice in high school in a pink Cadillac. <laughs> Those issues. But yeah, I mean, that, that allowed my mom um, even to be at home. So you can see it really kind of through my whole family. Of course, I mean, that influences you at a deep level just being around it. I just didn't think that that's what I was going to go do. I just felt like I was going in a different direction.
1: And, and and how did you start kind of veering in that direction towards seminary school? Like What, what was it that prompted you to say, you know what, that's the direction
0: I'm going to go in? Oh yeah, let's let's step it down and go a little bit deeper. I like it. So, um, man, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, junior high, high school, I went completely into the drug route. You name it. I lived in kind of a really rare school. It was a little two-way school out in East Texas. So usually you have different pockets of people. We were kind of the athletes as well as the people that were involved in drugs. And if you're in a small East Texas town, that's really like prevalent because there's not much to do. Mm -hmm. And so the defining moment for me was actually got arrested when I was 17. Um, And so, man, I remember being in jail, um, having to make that call to my father. Uh, and I'm an incredible dad, um, a dad who made a lot of right decisions. A lot of my decisions were because by nature, and I'm a risk taker, um, those things really draw me in. It was just definitely being channeled in the wrong way. And so I uh, got picked up and uh, I actually had to go to this kind of hippie rehab. Um, it was <laughs> <laughs> this is blow your mind. It was owned by these hippies um, that were kind of part of like what they would call the Jesus movement. And he had long hair. She wore bell bottoms. There were peacocks running all over their farm. She wrote poetry and painted on everything. And I was like, heck, I mean, if I go stay somewhere, I'm going to stay here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a really defining moment because it was during that process that I had a really um, big moment in which, for me, um, from a spiritual standpoint, God stepped in and just literally wrecked my world delivered me from all the drugs, everything that I was doing. And by the time I left that place, I was going, I want to spend the rest of my life serving and loving people. And so I was like, I guess I'll go to Bible school. I mean, that's, like, that's what you do. Um, but that's what kind of set me on that road, was having such a kind of dynamic experience at a young age of being 17. That's so interesting,
1: right? And were your were your parents um, – uh, were your parents um, – Also pursuing Christ, were they were they religious or were you in a household that was like that already and you were rebelling against it or were they, you know, not that
0: at all? Yeah, no, definitely faith based, but I wouldn't call it religious um, from the Mm -hmm. standpoint. I think a lot of us kind of perceive what that environment was. Um, I would say the best thing, it was always modeled for me. Um, but one thing I do have are two brothers um, and a dad that have done just an incredible job of what I would say modeling character um, and integrity. And so those things influenced me. So if you want to ask me why I was rebellious um, and I don't know, Rob, if, if you can running multipliers, I, I learned so many entrepreneur stories because I have to dig in and get to know people's lives. If you're listening, one of the threads I see with people that are entrepreneurs, a lot of times it's not always true. We generally a lot of times come from a troubled background. Um, We are by nature risk takers. We are by nature kind of pulled into things that create that sense of danger and excitement. And so I have a lot of friends, man, honestly, that kind of went through that route initially. Um, And that was simply because that entrepreneurial spirit was just not really having an outlet. And I look at all of those qualities now, that ability to take risk and not be scared. Cause a lot of people are like, I can't believe you did all that. And I'll be like, I just wasn't scared. Like I was that guy. I was always the first to go. When I was a kid, if you came to my house, Rob, I used to play this game called physical challenge. And I would find the craziest thing to jump off of, flip off of, I would always go first, but the deal is you had to go second. And I had friends that didn't like to come play with me because I was just doing stuff like that. But what I realized is that was kind of a gifting. That was that ability to deal with the entrepreneurial world because it's risk. You know, you got to deal with the fears and the ups and downs. And you look at most of the public and ask, you know, why do they work a nine to five? Well, they want that security, that safety. I think all of us as entrepreneurs, we have a little bit of that off wiring Um, that's willing to get out there and take that risk. And so I realized that once I got into more of the business side and it was being used properly in my life, it actually went to something that was a negative to something that's truly valuable. I'm glad that I'm wired the way that I am as long as it's being used in the right direction.
1: 100%. And so it's, it's such a powerful message for somebody to hear, right? Especially if they're if, if maybe they have a child that, that's like that, right? It's a little bit of a rebel rouser and, and just know that with the right direction and guidance, they they could be the next, you know, Chris Arnold, they could be the next big
0: business entrepreneur out there. I I've agree. heard that. I think that principle is challenge the process. Yeah, for sure. Right, Rob. It's just that we are wired to challenge the process. It doesn't matter what process that it is. And you and I today as business owners, we're challenging the processes in business. Every grow day. grow it and push things further. So... Okay. So you decide to go to
1: Bible school, right? And you get a degree in seminary. And then what like you wake up, you know, once you graduate and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go into business. Like, how did that transition happen?
0: Yeah. So that was the kind of whole Chick-fil-A story um, that I mentioned. <laughs> I'm um, finishing up grad school and kind of eating that chicken biscuit and getting that idea. But let me tell you, it wasn't at that moment that I knew that was the direction I want to go. That just created a massive conflict in me because mm-hmm. I had perceived that I was going to kind of go this vocational route. And then all of a sudden I kind of feel this pooling to go this other route, which is really kind of almost contrary to my degree. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100% that old Jonah story. Like, what are you running from? And so what better to do during that time than to like go travel the world six months and find myself? So that's what I did. I threw on a backpack um, and I went and traveled to like eight or nine countries over six months finishing up grad school, just trying to figure out what this conflict was in me and like, where am I going to go with my life? And I think for any of us that go back to those early 20s, I mean, I think a lot of us had sleepless nights just going, I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do. I just want to know. And if I know, I'm going to crush it. But the problem is I just don't have clarity around direction. Mm-hmm. And so I spent the world tra- uh, traveling the world trying to figure that out there. Where'd you go? What part of the country? Man, I went – I'm an off-beaten guy. So I went to like – I started Italy and Greece. And then I went to like Uganda and Kenya and Egypt and India and Thailand and Turkey. Like I was just – way i'm not like in europe the whole time like sipping lattes in a piazza you know i was actually out just experiencing the world at a full level that i could i just needed to go see
1: what did you what did you get from that experience i'm curious what did you learn from traveling
0: i realized that in a lot of ways i was in a bubble um i think that's the value of travel it um, doesn't matter if you live in a city or a family or a country. Um, I think we all live in certain environments that kind of shape the way that we think. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had been hit um, with, I'll use Jim Collins' languages, the tyranny of the ore, is what he says. Either I'm going to go and build a profitable business or I'm going to go help people and serve people and raise money and be poor. Mm hmm. And I didn't understand that it was the genius of the and. I can be both. I can run a profitable business and I can go out and impact the world and do that. Now you gotta remember, this is pre-social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. This is pre-Blake McCoskey, Tom Shoes. We're going back to 2005, 15 years with the concept of social entrepreneurship, the idea of building business for a cause of impact wasn't really being talked about yet. And so that was really a big epiphany was like, I don't have to be one of the, I don't have to be poor and spiritual to impact the people's lives. And just because I'm rich and wealthy doesn't mean that I'm going to forget about the roots of why I went to school. And so finally it was the marrying of those two. And that's what I saw in that mural going back to, you know, Kathy Truitt. Kathy Truitt created a profitable company, Chick Fil A, and yet he used it as a vehicle uh, and a delivery system for good, and that—that's what I began to understand. And then that really answered the question for me—the direction I wanted to go. Well, how did you end up picking real estate? Because the world of business is
1: huge, right? So, yeah, how did you, how did you end up being
0: an agent and wholesale? Like, t- tell me. How did that happen? Being 25 years old with a seminary degree, my business acumen was about a zero on a scale of one to 10. So the only thing I had experience looking around at was, you know, two people I knew that seemed to have good vehicles were people in real estate, mm-hmm. right? Or people that were involved in the stock market and investing on that side. That's all that I understood. Like, I didn't see beyond that other businesses and industries like that was about as far as my vision was um, at that age. And so that was process of elimination because for me, it was like, I'm not that strong in math, so I'm definitely not gonna do uh, great in the world of stock market, so real estate it is. And then it's like, well, how do you begin, right? And so at that time, another buddy of mine, Mike Mzik, um, who you're gonna meet at some point, um, kills it, crushes it. He's a huge real estate guy out of Dallas, Texas now. And at that time, I began kind of talking with him. I think I want to go the real estate route. And he's like, man, you need to get licensed. I'll kind of coach you up. So, again, I think the most important thing to always understand is sometimes it's just getting on the road. Yeah. Just start heading down the road. And so, at least that got me off the bench and into the game by getting licensed and starting as a real estate agent. How long did you do that before you started discovering the investment side of the business? I would probably say it was about six or seven years. So I went really heavy into the brokerage side. Someone handed me a copy of the MREA. I think we all have that story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gary Keller for that book. Um, And so I went the whole Keller Williams route, build the team, um, that whole process. Um, And I really had kind of said no to the investment world until I had really begun to understand that and build that to a level that I wanted to. Got it. Were there any books, any mentors that influenced
1: you in that direction to start understanding, to think a little bit different? On the investment side? On the investment side.
0: Yeah. What I began to realize is I grew up higher and higher into the networking industry um, and moving toward the top. Again, you earn the right to go sit in bigger masterminds and bigger events. You begin to meet people that have this kind of crossbreed. Um, of really beginning to understand that brokerage is great. Um, it's definitely going to create cash flow. But if you're talking about long-term passive income, you know, purchasing assets, all of a sudden that seed really starts to get planted. Yeah. And all of a sudden I begin to realize, and Rob, you've probably seen this, is there's this massive chasm between the retail world and the investment world. It's like they don't even talk to each other. And I am so deeply involved in both worlds It's hysterical to me, you know, retail people think investors are sharks and blah, blah, blah. And investors think retail people, you know, are sheep less common. I mean, it's just funny. I hear the dynamic. But what I realized was the brilliance of marrying those two worlds together. They don't need to be separate. And so as I saw that kind of modeled for me and I started looking at guys, I was like, man, this makes sense. So going back to environment and bubble. I think the important thing is to learn how to break out because for a lo- such a long period of time, I was just being trained to think like a broker and to think like the MREA and there's value in that, but the problem is I got kind of nearsighted on business as a whole and everything the industry had to offer. And why I love real estate is like, if you look at investment and agency and everything together, there are so many spokes to the will that plug in to create really a beautiful business and model. Which, again, for me, it was about a vehicle, right? The freedom mm-hmm. that I have now. So let's talk a little bit about that freedom, right?
1: How did you decide, you know what? Tulum is where I'm going to end up, right? Like, I Which, by the way, I think it's awesome. I've been there with my wife. But I'm just, I mean, I guess, yeah, I'm just curious. How did that come about? You just woke up one day and decided you're going to go
0: to Tulum? <laughs> yeah. So it all starts with writing it down, right? Um, mm-hmm. I had created a list of some things that I wanted to do in my life. And one of them was live the Caribbean life. I mean, I was as generalized as it said. <laughs> live the Caribbean life. There was no location. I mean, there's a generalized location, but I knew I wanted to be on the beach. And the way that it happened was, you know, I transitioned to virtual world. I was very intentional about virtual world. This is going probably six, seven years back because I had this such focus on freedom. If you break down freedom, I think there's fundamentally four freedoms when it comes to kind of business and life. You get freedom of time, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's the most glaring thing that people get into real estate for. But then you get freedom of resources. That means I can write the checks for the cause that mean most to me, right? Then on top of that, you get freedom of thought. If I can get a business that begins to run without me and stack cash, All of a sudden I quit worrying about day-to-day things that I used to. I'm free to elevate, to begin to think about other people's problems and other people's issues. And the last freedom was freedom of location. Um, I don't want to be tied. So when we're talking about freedom, I wanted freedom at the full extent of what I could comprehend freedom to be from a business standpoint. And so freedom of location was at some point, I don't want to be tied down. So I had started about six or seven years ago, strategically building a virtual model, which again, when you get into that world, it's really scary. How do I manage these people? How do I do this? I'm so used to a world being in office. And so I finally got to a point where I was sitting around in my office one day and there's just a few of us left and we have this big office because everyone's virtual. And I'm asking myself, why am I still here? Like, and my team is looking at you like, why are you still here? Why do you guys have an office? You hired all of us virtually. We've never been to your office. We've never been to Texas. Like, why do you have it? And so I took a vacation down to Tulum, fell in love, and within 90 days, my wife and I packed it up and moved because I had built something and it took me to a time to realize like it's here. Like, Chris, this is what you've been working for. Now all you got to do is pull the trigger and go, right? And by the time I made that, my business had been set to be able to run virtually and we didn't skip a beat. It was already built to do it. You made the decision to do it. That's it you made the decision. I had to, back to, head, I had to have the balls to, to do what I said I was going to do. And that was to leave the United States and go to a foreign country. Bottom line. Had your wife ever lived in a foreign country before? No, she never left the city we lived in. <laughs> 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 she was born in Arlington, Texas. And if you know anything about Texas, when we got married, I moved her to Dallas, which is 30 minutes away. And that was actually a really big deal for her to move 30 minutes away. So, yes, um, we packed it up. But one of the reasons and I think one of the great qualities of my wife, why I married her was she was always down for the adventure. Mm-hmm. She's introverted by nature. I'm extroverted. And part of her introvertedness is I married you to create a life for me that I would probably never do on my own as an introvert. So when I told her, she's like, all right, let's do it. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs>
1: let's wow. Do it. Very similar to my wife. Yeah. Right. Very similar. I thought she would talk me out of some things, but she She She's like, no, let's go. No. okay so so you've got you've got this uh brokerage retail side so that's one spoke you're wholesaling that's another spoke um you have from what i understand just going online you have a, a coaching consulting side because a lot of what you've done is radio right you generated a lot of leads through radio and i was shocked to hear that you could buy spots for the the amounts of money that you were talking about last time. I was like, Oh, I got to talk to Chris about this. Um, and you have multipliers, right? So you've got these, these four spokes essentially. Is there another one? Am I missing anyone?
0: Those are the four.
1: Okay. Those are the four. So how do you manage all four of those? Right. I think, um, sometimes entrepreneurs, you know, we see opportunity everywhere, uh, but in order to do it effectively, um, you need the right talent around you. Right. So um, how have you been able to manage that and or lead through that? Help me understand that and help our audience understand that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important because, again, I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs always have to minimize, you know, chasing shiny objects. We're probably usually overcommitted um, but the four things I have strategically work together. So the first thing I always tell people is if you do have multiple companies, those companies need to have synergy between them. It's not like I have a real estate company and then I went and started a restaurant and then I went and started some other product. You know what I'm saying? My companies all work together in tandem. They all feed each other. It becomes a force multiplier. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a couple of things I would tell you on, you know, learning how to balance between the companies and what we do is number one, without question, you have to have the right team in place, particularly the right, uh, what I would call chief operating officer, call him an integrator, a number two There is no way that a visionary can elevate out of the day-to-day without the right chief operating officer. Mm -hmm. So every business I have has an integrator or COO over it. And then on top of that, it's led um, by a leadership team that I've raised up over time. And this leadership team makes pretty much all of the day-to-day decisions. So unless it's really, really important, um, I don't have to get involved. And so this is going back to the beginning of the long-term Understanding by beginning with the end of mind of raising up leadership in your organization, because you're never going to step out of the day to day if you have what's called centralized leadership. Centralized leadership model is all arrows are pointing at me and everything's dependent upon me. And if you remove me, as kind of the capstone or the keystone to this thing, it falls apart. Decentralized leadership are all arrows are pointed away from me. And that if you remove me from the equation, the business keeps running. Mm -hmm. And so I love the old saying, you define the success of your business by how long it would run if you stopped working in it today. And I think for a lot of people, if they answer that question, like, man, my business wouldn't last a week. Mm -hmm. And then I would argue and say, well, I don't really think that you're running a decentralized model. And then The other thing I've realized over time is there's only three things I need to understand about a business and look at on a regular basis and not have to be involved with all of the details. Um, You know, number one, I've got to look at the financials because the financials are a tool. They're a weapon. They're always telling me a story. And so I have a great chief financial officer that I meet with, and we're looking at the patterns and the data and forecasting and rolling 12s. And man, again, that's people buy companies off of financials, right? Because again, that's what you care about more than anything because who cares what the owner says, just go and look at the actual numbers. The second thing is I've got a KPI dashboard for each of the companies that we run. And so I can tell immediately when I log into a KPI dashboard looking at lead measures, which a lot of times the financials are more like lag measures, Mm -hmm. but these lead measures in my dashboards tell me if something's wrong. And if it's wrong, then I can go back in, talk to my team and go, what's going on here? There's something off on the conversion side of the sales department in this area. And the last thing I just need to know are what are the quarterly rocks? These are the priorities that each company has set in place that they have agreed that they're going to accomplish as an organization uh, over the next 90 days. And if I have a grasp on those three things, that's really all I need to understand to run that business. Um, and again, that's just taking me time to really narrow it down, to not be involved in all the day-to-day stuff, and more importantly, get out of the way, delegate, and as they say, let the inmates run the asylum. Without awesome,
1: in, in order to um, create buy-in into the organization, have you provided equity in any of those businesses, um, um, profit sharing? Um, what 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 is it? right how do you how do you get people to feel like this is their baby too
0: or do you yeah no absolutely so i think again does equity giving up those things um work um i do but i think that a lot of times they're the last resort what people are going to buy in to more than anything is going to be the clear vision of the leader and the fact that we are doing something unique to solve a problem that no one else is solving and that there are things at risk in the world if we don't do this. And more importantly, we're gonna do it with people in a team that we love to be around. That in my opinion creates more buy-in than incentives themselves. It really does. You cannot underestimate the value of the vision um, and the leader and the culture. I mean, what it, as I always say, people don't quit jobs. They quit leaders, right? They, they mm-hmm. quit visions, visions that go off track. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a crucial component. And then secondly, people are wired differently. And I can tell you one of the best characteristics of, you know, one of my COOs is that when she sees me succeed, she perceives that as her own personal success. There are other people that you meet in your life that when you succeed, what they feel is envy and jealousy. But if you can find the right people, they view your success as their success. And that's all about bringing in those right type of people that see the world philosophically that way. And again, the key people on my teams really feel that way. And then the last thing I would say is I can't tell you, I think you said the word baby earlier when we hire people and we give them positions The conversation we always use is this is your baby. You might have a small task in our organization, but the reality is this is your baby and you are responsible for your baby. And so if you start to create a culture in which people understand that they are fully responsible for what you've given them and they're there to call the shots again, a lot of times we'll just simply say we'll get questions from newer people in our company like, what should I do on this? And we always just kick it back. Um, What do you think we should do? what what would you do and if you're constantly doing that people will begin to believe and understand that they know they have ownership that they have a voice cuz they're calling the shots on their responsibility and i really believe that that comes down to the right leadership style i love it okay
1: i suspect if you're like most entrepreneurs it's not always gone according to plan
0: <laughs> that's an understatement
1: <laughs> so tell me a little bit about some of the major challenges you've faced in your business
0: life? Yeah, Um, I can tell you the first challenge um, that hit me hard is I got into business not being financially literate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, school didn't teach me how to manage money. Unfortunately, you know, my parents um, didn't teach me how to manage money, even doing what they did. I don't think from a personal standpoint, that was something that they had excelled at. And unfortunately, church world doesn't teach you that. So when I got into business, you know, I'm doing a lot of deals my first year, like I had a business plan, I hit the ground running. And I looked, you know, two or three years into the game. And then we start to hit 2008, cause I started in 2005. And all of a sudden I've got like maxed out credit card. I remember the day where I had about $5,000 left on my credit card and it was maxed. And my bank accounts were like sub a couple hundred dollars the bank accounts i had and i was just like what am i doing like i'm making money but i don't have to manage i know how to manage it and i was frustrated um i was frustrated that i had to kind of learn that lesson um, and it wasn't taught to me but hey was a lesson I need to learn. And then I went down the whole Dave Ramsey path and started digesting those books on, you know, learning to lead with revenue and, you know, to look at debt and to get out of debt and so forth. And, and that was definitely a big mistake. I mean, that cost me time. You know, if I had been putting that money into growing my business rather than just spending it because I didn't know how to manage money, I mean, I would have got up and going a lot faster. How long did it take you to, to kind of dig out of that? Um, I'm going to say from the time I started digging out of it, probably took me a few years yeah. to really kind of get a dent and, and take care of all that and be debt-free. Got it. And was that was that credit card? Did you
1: say how much was the, the amount that you had on credit cards? Do you remember?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was up in like the mid $40,000 range. And being Got 27 years old, 28, mm. that's a lot of money at the time. Let's go back to... <laughs> When when like you're still living off a couple thousand dollars a month because you can, you know, you still have a little bit of that college mentality. So that was a lot of money. That was that
1: that that was that that reminds me of that kid jumping off the roof when he was younger, twelve years old, without the safety net, right? When it like twisted his ankle all the way down. They're like, Man, okay, gotta do it better next time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So that was when you were 27. Took you a couple of years to figure that out, dig out of it then what have you done since in order to start building wealth because whether it's the brokerage side or wholesaling you know that that's all very earned income side of the equation right what what have you or even like multipliers right that's a lot of that's earned income what are you doing on the building wealth side that we might be able to learn from
0: Yeah, so I can tell you the biggest transition I had was to get off a transaction treadmill, which probably a lot of people that are listening are on and get out of transactional businesses and start to create what I would call residual or subscription-based businesses. Mm And So I can tell you the real first um, big transition I had was, again, transactional is great, but let's utilize, again, depends on what industry you're in in COVID. But if you're in a transactional-based business, When something hits you, you're in trouble because the way that that game is played and it's a dangerous game is you have a set amount of expenses every month and every month starts at zero and you have to do enough sales in order to go above those expenses to make profit. And when you're doing really well, you don't really think about the craziness of that game. But when things get hard and you realize that you're behind and that month is resetting and you're losing at that game again and again, you go, man, this is a bit of a crazy cycle. So all the businesses that I've launched moving forward being multipliers to REI radio to affiliate based programs in which I endorse tech companies, different things like that. Um, What I've been really focused on is creating that longer term subscription based reoccurring revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, I will probably never build a transactional business again um, unless it's just a transactional component that's meant to lead to something residual. Mm -hmm. I believe the subscription model is the holy grail of models. Mm -hmm. Look at Netflix, look at Disney Plus, look at Amazon, right? Where does Amazon get most of its money from? It ain't necessarily the sales, it's the fact that we all pay for Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. It's like Costco, right? Mm-hmm. So I really uh, have focused on my wealth by creating more and more subscription-based residual income pieces for myself. That's awesome. Talk to me a little bit about the hoteling you're doing. The whole what?
1: You said that you were um, doing, what was it? Uh, hoteling or microtelling with wholesaling. So your brokerage, wholesaling, and then oh, I heard
0: you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just an industry term. Um, it's a really simple way that you might pick up a property that has a ton of profit in it, and you don't want the other investor that you're flipping that deal to to see the profit. So you buy it for cash, um, you put it on the MLS, right? And then when you go to close that property, you don't do any type of rehab, you just sell it. Or it's just a good property that doesn't need much rehab, and you use the MLS as a buyer's list because that can be a really good buyer's list as well. So wholesaling is just putting it on the MLS as is.
1: Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yes. And I've heard it multiple times, and I thought it was something completely different.
0: Just like, it's a next strategy, no yeah, different. I like strategy. Yeah,
1: we, we just put on the MLS. It's like when we were doing the Burr strategy in 2008, nobody called it Burr and I was doing, you know, it all day long, you know, when the market dropped, right? And uh, luckily, you know, we were buying it at a discount at the time. But years later, we got David Green, he writes a book on Burring. I'm like, hey, we've been doing that for years. But yeah. that's all good marketing, right? All good marketing. Um, okay, so if I if I understand this journey is you had this energy that's Pushing you outside the lines, you were never drawing inside the lines. Uh, you were always challenging, and you took that energy, in which and it and it took you off course a little bit. But then it brought you, you recentered. It brought you on a new journey, one that your heart still was able to kind of fulfill. Like you, you love. What I hear is that you love helping people, and you love doing it now on the on the business building side, you know, that's why you lead multipliers. Um, And talk to us a little bit about that, right? Tell us a little bit about multipliers and how that came about, because I I feel that your
0: heart is is there. Yeah, no, it is without question. So, you know, I had to make a commitment and draw a line in the sand. Um, I chose business as a vehicle. And I understood that I was going to have to earn my stripes and I was really going to have to focus on success over significance in the beginning. Um, And so I really, again, how these things come, you just make decisions, right? Choices. Mm -hmm. I said, I will put my head down for 10 years and I will grow my business and I will do everything I need to do to build success in my life. And the reality is you got to take care of success at home before you can put yourself in an elevated position to think about other people. But I said around that 10 year mark that I was going to, and I'm using Bob Buford's language, I'm going to transition more from success over to significance hmm. because that's where my heart always was. When I was, you know, going through grad school and doing all those things and filling that tension, you know, my biggest concern about business was that I was going to get sucked into that world, get so focused on success, That I would leave behind the roots of wanting to focus on what I felt was significant Mm -hmm. and that was helping the lives of people and again I think that's a reasonable fear for people to have money does a lot of things to us right money changes us success changes us and so I just said 10 years is it and at that point I don't know what it's going to be but I'm going to start to make that transition 10 years came and I remember um, at that point sitting down um, you know with a good buddy of mine And I said, you know what, we're going to show up every morning on Saturday and have coffee until we figure out what it is that we feel like is more valuable for us to do. Because my legacy is not doing real estate transactions. And to be honest with you, I really am not very passionate about real estate as a whole. I love business. Business is super interesting to me. But someone pulls me aside and want to talk about real estate deals, I will probably kind of start to glare off a little bit mm-hmm. because my heart goes to what's going on like in your marriage mm-hmm. and what's going on truly in your life. Like take me to the five percent of life that really matters, the deep conversation. And so we had coffee every Saturday for about nine months, just kicking around every idea on how we wanted to impact the world and we settled on multipliers. And the, again, the problem that I saw, again, I really believe a lot of times that vision starts not necessarily out of passion, but out of what would be called a holy discontent. Um, it's kind of, I've heard it say, it's the Popeye moment. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. Right? That's where vision starts a lot of times there. It's an injustice, it's something that frustrates you. And what I began to learn over time is that there is a massive issue with entrepreneurs isolating and that the further you go up in leadership, the more lonely it becomes. We know that. And if you look at men as a whole and surveys on men and you ask them, how many men in your life do you have that honestly, when the shit hits the fan, when your life goes bust, all hell breaks loose that you can call up and be vulnerable with and go to that level. And you know what that statistic primarily says, zero. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous. And so all of a sudden, and again, I've watched these stories, you see these men that we've admired, books that we've read of guys, they get to a certain level and they make a moral misstep and you watch them just rock and break down their entire empower their families implode, their businesses implode, their followers are disillusioned because I thought that this guy was this guy. And it's and it's like a wake of disaster. And a lot of times that's occurring because those men and women are so isolated that the further they got along and as things began going awry, they had nowhere as a safe environment to talk about the hard things. And so we know statistically that only one in three leaders will finish well. One and three leaders will finish the race well, which means two thirds will get disqualified, will fall off and stop leading people. And the reality is the world has changed through leadership. If you go back historically, you look at anything, leaders are people that drive things forward, that impact the peoples of lives. I think it's one of the most important gifts um, that are out there that exists. We need leaders. And so multipliers for me is about creating a safe environment for people to be able to come in, finish the race well, because when their life goes awry, there's other men that are around them as a brotherhood to step in and go, you know what? I got your back. And here's the thing. I mean, let's just be real raw and honest here. Real estate entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs by general, like myself, have excessive personalities. We do. We do. It's what drives us. But in that excess, here's what you see. You see alcohol abuse. You see drug abuse. You see pornography abuse. You see on top of that affairs. Again, it's the most – like you see these traits. Gambling. It's all this kind of excessive um, personality. And the reality is those guys and those women that get into those issues don't have anyone to share them with. And so what we're doing is we're combating those things by creating a brotherhood of men that come together and go, you know what? I'm going to hold you accountable. It's a Judge Freeman zone because we all screw up. But here's the deal. When you make a misstep, I've got you and we're going to get you back on track. And you're not going to be alone. And I think that's a huge problem that needs to be solved right now. It's powerful, powerful.
1: Very powerful. And it's so interesting how you're fulfilling your original mission. Right. Through through multipliers, meaning you're doing the same thing that you would have done at seminary. Right. You're just using a different
0: like you said, a different vehicle in order to do it. But your heart's still in the same place. And that goes back to the genius of the ant. Can I run a profitable business and at the same time have impact and cause on the world that I'm living in? Do I have to check my core values and my motivations if I go in business to succeed? No, it's not true. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the best thing and the best way I describe business for me is it is simply a delivery system for me to be who God called me to be. That is it. It is a delivery system. And it is incredible delivery system because if you look at the story, right? And here's the thing: looking back, you can make so much sense. But going through this whole journey, I confusion mm-hmm. makes sense. I'm a real estate agent. What am I doing? Again, I don't have any understanding, right? But I think the amazing life is, you know, you under as they say, you live life looking forward, but you understand life looking back. And the reality is I'm called the lead leaders and influence influencers, right? Particularly in the world of entrepreneurship and even much more niched into the real estate world. But I had to get off the bench and get on the journey and get that license. As I said, I just need to get going on the road. That was the first thing. I didn't know where that road was leading, but I needed to get on it. And I needed to at least trust God knew more than I did at the time because I didn't understand what was going on. But as I look back, like the ability to build retail, And the ability to build business and everything that we're talking about has put me in a position now that I can speak into an entrepreneur's life because I've earned the respect to play at that level. Yeah. I didn't understand that in order to lead leaders and influence influencers, I needed to become that leader myself in the industry. And I need to be an influencer in the ways in which I could within the circles that I run. And you're right. It's I I'm 40 years old. Right. And it's all kind of now circling back around. And I think the best description I can give you is this. I I work with a coach and he says, you know what, Chris, there are three major kind of milestones in the life of a leader, right? In your 20s and 30s, it's calling. And calling is just simply saying yes to a direction. I don't know where this direction is going. I don't know, but I feel, and again, if you're spiritual, not spiritual, it doesn't matter. Calling is calling. It's just in the sense that I feel called to go in this direction. And that gets you on the road and your whole 20s and 30s is about saying yes. And then all of a sudden you go through what's called a major transition in your life. It's what got you here won't get you there. And all the things you've learned in a lot of ways you now have to let go of because you're called to level up and go to the second phase of leadership, which is what is called unique contribution. Calling is about saying yes. Now, unique contribution is about saying no. Now it's about saying no to all of those things I used to say yes to because I have a clear understanding on what my unique contribution is. And again, we all, and here's the thing. I wanted to know that at 18, 20, 30, you know, 25 years old. And the reality is I really believe that I and most leaders only get a sense of calling. We want to know what that unique contribution is, but we don't get there till sometime in our 40s. We know this based on leadership research. And then somewhere around 60s, you have another major transition in your life. Another what got me here won't get you there. And you move from unique contribution to what's called your ultimate contribution. And so based on your age right now, it kind of gives you a phase of right now you're either in calling saying yes, you should be in unique contribution, your forties and fifties saying no, and really narrowing it down to the one thing that you feel like you must do. And then eventually late in your life, you're going to hit convergence and hit ultimate contribution where all your gifts all your experiences, everything in life finally come together and you honestly become a force to be reckoned with. And I think that these are the men and women that we probably read the books and admire most that have reached that level of convergence and ultimate contribution, like a John Maxwell, whoever that is that you truly admire.
1: I was just going to ask you that. And I was thinking John Maxwell, right? I was going to ask you, and we'll end it with this, Chris, and, and by the way, thank you so much. Um. I've learned a lot today, and I know that our listeners have learned a lot, whatever, wherever they are in this journey. But who are some of the people that you look up to uh, from a business standpoint, a leadership standpoint, that we might be able to explore uh, further?
0: Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I think that someone's probably going to want to hear me say Is there a particular leader that I read everything from? Um, I'm not that type of reader. I tend to bounce from person to person. But the people that I admire um, right now are the coaches that I hire. And these are guys probably, you wouldn't know their name if I mentioned them. I work with Terry Walling right now. I work with Greg Sassaccioli. These these are authors of books. Um, And so for me, the men that I admire and I'm drawn to are the men that have learned to measure success outside of just the billfold, right? These are men that walk in a high level of wisdom and character, and they have success in their relationships. And so what I can tell you is overall, I'm I'm drawn to men that go far beyond the money. So I think the traditional people that we read books and listen to, I read those books and get business value, but I can't tell you I necessarily admire those men as a whole. Mm-hmm. Showing the man that's a great father, great husband, great friend, great leader, influencing the community and carries that type of balance. Now you're getting to some of the rare people in the world that reach that place of personhood, right? Oh, so. And I think a lot of people reach that level of leadership where they're holistic, they're not just one-sided and great, you're a billionaire, but your life is a complete disaster. <laughs> exactly. I don't
1: We don't want that. We don't want that. Well, Chris, man, thank you so much. If somebody wanted to get in touch, we'll obviously put it on all the show notes. But if somebody wanted to get in touch, what's the best way?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So it's been interesting as I've transitioned over into the world of really beginning to build my voice, um, because that's where I'm at. I'm moving into unique contribution. Um, You can definitely go and just kind of follow what I'm doing and business and all the different stuff that we teach about and provide by going to Chris Arnold real estate, um, and subscribing to my YouTube. Absolutely. Awesome. Brother,
1: well, thanks so much for sharing time. And with that, it's the end of the episode, guys. Tune in next week for another amazing leader that's going to pour into us. Thanks, Chris. Take care.
0: Thanks.